0: we have is uh, you know from the, one of the great skills we have from being in the military is you know thinking through things logically and, and in a you know learning how to think not just what to think how to think and how to structure thought how to structure a plan you know how to how to look at a, an issue from all different angles and then come up with a solution and navigate your way out of whatever issue you you've, you've found yourself in
1: hi there and welcome to the tech veteran podcast this podcast takes you through the lives transitions and careers of veterans who are having success in fields of technology my name is oliver pulaski and along with my co-host Mel sullivan we will take you through some of these incredible people's journeys this week mel and i talked to tristan stevenson founder of stev tech an ag tech company bringing some of the world's best agricultural technology to Australian farmers.
2: Tristan Stevenson from StevTech, welcome to the Tech Veteran podcast. We're really grateful for you to, to you for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, so StevTech is all about making precision agriculture accessible. Um, you founded the company, so can you tell us your story and what led you into starting a business in the ag tech sector
0: yeah hey Mel, hey Ollie, thanks for having me it's a real pleasure to to be here um, yeah I, I was I'd uh, I was an army army guy for 20 20 odd years or when I made the decision to, to start the business I suppose it was about the 17 or 18 year mark um, and I <clears throat> before joining the army I'd come from a farm in central West New South Wales so I sort of had a background my brother still runs the the family farm there um and yeah as towards the back end of the uh, career I was thinking about sort of what next steps were for the the next stage of life because I'd sort of done you know good tactical time at unit level and at sort of training centers and whatever else and I I was getting to that point where um I was going to be i use the term sentenced to uh to Canberra (laughs) but I posted to Canberra and and doing sort of uh, Canberra-based jobs from this point on. <clears throat> so I thought, is that what I want or is it not? And used all the planning skills that the army had, had given me to decide whether or not that was where I wanted to go or whether I wanted to do something a little different. And um, I decided it was time to do something a little bit different. And looking at where, um, you know, things were going globally, just in terms of um, food security and, um, you know, robotics and artificial intelligence and, and whatnot, <clears throat> um, I, I uh, sort of looked across to agriculture and realised that um, agriculture was sort of in the same position as defence in many ways, um, in that these these sort of themes of you know that I just mentioned were, were really prevalent in that in that um, in that industry as well. And I, uh, yeah, just basically thought right, well I, I know agriculture from from growing up, and I know sort of where. Some of the technology is heading from my exposure in the military and i thought look this is a, a pretty interesting interesting and exciting place to, to go uh and just to have a crack and start my own thing so that's what i did in uh, 2016 i left the army and started StevTech, and we're still having a field day out here in central west of new south wales
1: Tristan, can you tell us a little bit more about what StevTech tech actually does so we we
0: sort of scour the globe to try and find the best technology that's applicable in agriculture bring it into the Australian context because Australian agriculture is a little bit different from from other other countries and then we roll it out um, to farmers to make it really accessible and really easy for agronomists and farmers to implement into their into their current operations so um, what we do is a bit like translating some of the real high-end high-tech hype into, into actual practical reality. So we connect those, those big tech companies that are spending millions and millions of dollars creating softwares and, and, and whatnot. We, we connect them to, to the average, well not the average, but to the, to the, to the Australian farmer at the ground level. Because the Australian farmer may not have every little bit of widget and technology and equipment that is, um, is required um, you know, in a perfect environment. <clears throat> and we basically provide the bridge between those really high tech platforms and, and actually getting it into action in, in, in the paddock. What that means day to day is that we use primarily drones, but we also harness satellite data, any soil data we can get or yield data. Um, and we translate that, um, that data through a decision maker like an agronomist into action. So uh, we can go through, I can tell you a couple of examples of how that actually works, but it's really about making, making uh, ag tech really practical at the farmer's level.
1: Yeah, right. And how do you qualify the new technologies? We have a
0: look at what the needs are that we were hearing from farmers. So we look at, you know, I go out and talk to heaps and heaps of farmers, heaps of agronomists in any given year. And we understand what, have a think about what um, what their actual needs are, what their problems are, what their big, the big issues that are that are limiting their ability to, to make their farms profitable or, you know, limiting their yields or, or, costing a lot of money and things like labor and stuff like that. And then we have a look around for, for stuff that will, that will rectify those problems. We then bring it into, into, a, into the Australian context, test it out. Like I, was, I said, my brother runs a the family farm, so I've got a great playground there to test things on. Test it out, see whether it'll meet the scale of, of the Aussie Aussie sort of farmer, or whether it'll meet the, the unique sort of climatic conditions, the heat, the dust, the, you know, all that sort of stuff that we have in Australia. And then, yeah, then we, if it, if it makes sense, and it's and it's um and it's actually going to create a um an impact on the on the farmer's bottom line, then we bring it in, and roll it out across the customer base. Um, a good example of that might be some of the stuff we're doing in orchards. We we partnered with a South African company called Aerobotics to um, bring uh, data mapping and uh, orchard mapping and vineyard mapping into Australia. So we'll we'll go out fly an orchard. Um, and identify every single tree in that orchard. Let's say there's a thousand trees in that orchard. Uh, it'll give you a count of the number of trees. It'll give you the size of the uh, height of the tree, the volume of the canopy and a, and a health indication of that canopy of every single tree. So you can click on a tree in the orchard and you'll have those metrics. You'll know the volume of the canopy, uh, the height of the tree and the health, uh, the NDRE metric of that particular tree. Tree across the whole orchard, you can zone that out so you can wow. you know, apply different rates of fertilizer or different irrigation techniques or whatever you want to do. And then interestingly, where it really comes, uh, really cool is in citrus orchards, we can then later on in the season, about two months before harvest, fly another drone over those trees and give that that, that pack house or that farmer um, a yield estimation. We'll be able to tell them how many, what if they harvest on this particular date, this is the size um, of the of the fruit you're going to have and this is how the, the, the quantities of them. So they can basically set up um, their labor force for a specific harvest date. They can set up their export markets for a specific fruit size and they can sequence their harvesting across, some, you know, maybe five or six different orchards in their, in their enterprise. So um, that's just one example of something that really saves massive amounts of labor and actually allows them to plan and uh, and execute sort of um, export options in a much more timely and accurate manner.
2: Wow! Driving data de- da- driving data driven decision making in agriculture is is kind of the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, I think, for a lot of ag businesses. which what, what yeah, is it's,
0: it's the big catch cry. Everyone everyone's into it, and that's certainly that's certainly our our ordering sort of uh, aim is to is to just harness data. In a really, in a way that's really, really simple for someone to understand, and then they can actually execute on that to either save money or increase yields. Um, and I guess my background in the military really is really inspired that that aspect of it because, <clears throat> in, in my background, I wasn't like a you know a technical guy. I was I, I was um, a commander, like I was in the command management stream, and. Um, What we had to do in that stream was get all these really highly technical sources together, you know, intelligence sources and whatever from various different, you know, human intelligence or signal intelligence or, you know, geo intelligence or whatever. It had to come to you in a format that was able to be digested really quickly and easily, and then actually make a decision on that, go and do something in the field. So it's a real real simple segue into agriculture for me. And having been on the decision-making side of it, I understand that a farmer or agronomist doesn't want some big tech head coming in like bamboozling him with some statistics about a drone. <clears throat> he or she just wants to know what, how can I make decisions in quickly, easily and accurately to save money or increase my yield. And that's what we basically provide.
2: So as a veteran, would you need the background in farming to move into that space or
0: would it- It certainly eases, it, eases the situation in terms of like being able to communicate um, so having, just having that, that common parlance, but no, I don't think it's necessary because a lot of what we do in the military is, is very, very similar. Like we deal with, with data and we turn it into, into action. Certainly in my, in my part of the military, that's, that's what we're really focused on in a really, really, you know, time critical sense. Um, so, and, and I guess the, the benefit of not having an agricultural background, um, and I don't consider myself to have, just because I grew up on a farm, I I don't consider myself to be an agricultural specialist in any any Uh, regard. The benefit of not being an agricultural specialist is you don't get into other people's lanes. You stay in your lane about providing decision support and then you allow those experts like agronomists and people that have dedicated their lives and their education to understanding how plant health works or soil chemistry or whatever, let them make the decisions. That's what they're paid to do. What I find myself doing, it's facilitating information so they can make decisions really quickly and accurately.
2: Yeah, thanks. I think that's an excellent piece of advice. So having, what did you find was the hardest thing about setting up in a a business in ag tech with a military background and getting that business up and running and getting people buying into the service? What was the hardest thing about it? So
0: yeah, the house, so there's a lot of easy things about coming out of the military, as in you have a like I found anyway. I've, I've done a lot of different jobs. Like every two years, sort of two or three year posting cycle meant that I was exposed to a lot of different things. So there's a lot of things about management of resources, communicating with people, and other sort of planning aspects that aren't easy. And finally, though, was uh, things like pricing. <clears throat> We've never, if, if you know, military people have never had to price their service. There's no price to how much, uh, you know, a non-combatant evacuation operation uh, would be on the on the open market. It's how much it would cost you physically to do it. But if you had to price that for, you know, some some Pacific island as a as a service, you don't do that. You might do that in private security, but you certainly don't do that in the military. And that was a big aspect that I had to really get my head around. What's the value of my labour? What's the value of my IP that I've generated in this business? And how do I translate that into a dollar value that at the same time makes it. Um, uh, able for the accessible, that's what we're trying to do accessible to the average Aussie, Aussie farmer. Um, so that was a massive, massive challenge to so try and figure that out. Um, and that's still probably a work in progress.
2: Yeah, because we don't, we're not cost oriented, are we? It, we don't think about, certainly it was one thing I had to learn is to think of everything you do or, or add that factor into your decision making on costing and profit and money and cash
0: flow Um, yeah because because managing resources in the military is you've got to find out you've got you've got x number whatever's allocated to you and you can manage that really effectively but yeah how do you but you don't factor in profit you don't factor in how does that actually work when you need to make yeah and it it takes
2: work
0: um yeah it's been a bit of a challenge it's been yeah no it's been a challenge it's been good fun though
1: um so tell us you know you guys do things like drone imagery um mechatronics you know aerobotics data analytics how can you tell the audience a bit about how automation in things like weed eradication and how other technologies um is helping secure the food supply
0: yeah so um that was where i I hark back to my original answer about one of the reasons you know one of the main reasons i got into this because i saw that you know food scarcity you know Combined with population growth, resource scarcity um, is a real pinch factor for for the globe, and and it has to be an industry that supports that. Being being ag and agtech is one of those industries that supports actually continuing to feed feed the planet. So, what some of the stuff that we do really practically at the ground level is like is is, is reduce inputs. So we try and one of the things that we do is um, is go out with a drone and find every single weed in a in a paddock. Like let's say after after a farmer harvests his wheat. As an example, there's a period from like December through to probably April where that paddock goes into a period of fallow, and they want to retain all the moisture they can in the soil profile. Um, weeds, when they when they arrive sort of in that summer over oh, that summer period, drain the profile of that moisture and nutrients that the crop's going to need to use in in April. So they try and keep that keep a, a cover on that of sort of you know dead dead grasses and whatever to hold the soil together, but they don't want you know fresh you know weeds basically drain, draining that profile for, for, the, um, you know, for the, the upcoming season. <clears throat> Currently, like what mainly, what mostly happens at the moment is they just take a, a big spray rig, go across their blanket spray, the whole thing, um, and just keep those weeds at bay. Um, what we do is we take the drone, fly it over the paddock, find all the weeds, convert that into a, into a geospatial file, which can go into the GPS of their, their tractor, the current tractor that they, current spray rig, I should say, that they have, and allows them to target those weeds um, and in some cases, we've been getting up to sort of 90% savings of chemicals. So it, that's a massive cost for a farmer. It's also a fairly decent cost to the earth spraying chemicals that aren't needed into it. It's um, so one of the farmers I was talking to sprays about a million bucks of chemical under his place a year, and we're mm-hmm. all saving sort of 90% on some paddocks mm-hmm. um, for for guys like him out in those sort of western western areas. Um, there's other, there's other um, uh, technologies that do that as well like where you know they have instead of having a drone in there they have a, a, a camera mounted on a boom but in what I found is that the majority of farmers at the moment have you know equipment that they paid you know 500,000 bucks for it. and then to add another hundred grand onto that and have to be able to manage those cameras or whatever can be difficult so we provide you know an option to that where we basically come after the camera and and the and the data um and and also sort of phase and then post them the data and they can just go and spray the spray their paddock as an all but saving a bunch of chemicals
2: so of course the kind of farming that you're talking about is not um somebody with a little tiny tractor on a half acre kind of house block you know you're talking about the kind of farming where you stand in the middle of a paddock and everything you see to the horizon will be a cereal crop and we're talking about you know I'm going to say it, serious, big, sexy tractors. Um, And, you know, that idea, yeah, hey, why not? Um, You know, that idea that your little drone flies out, talks back to the tractor, says, save my farm owner 90% in cost. Um, But, you know, the added follow-on effect of chemicals not used, you know, ecosystems not disrupted, you know, absolute pinpoint accuracy on only doing what needs to be done and nothing more. Um, I find that really exciting and and really, really interesting. Uh, You know, having grown up on a farm myself. uh, To me, it's a no brainer. Um, But I just think it's a wonderful development and particularly making it affordable for Australian farmers to to access
0: it. Yeah, what you, what you touched on there was like the, the scale of Aussie farming. You're right. Some of these paddocks are absolutely enormous. And that's where sometimes you get something out of Europe or you know some technology out of Europe or wherever where they're used to sort of you know 30 hectare paddocks or something like that. Some of the paddocks we're doing the weed detection on are up to sort of a thousand hectares as a single paddock. You know, i mentioned so we're talking about <clears throat> talking about you know technologies that need to be able to cover cover those big those big areas and and from my end, what I need to be able to do is then turn that data into something that's small enough that can get into a tractor GPS without completely clogging it. And that's a, that can be a big um, that can be a big effort at our end, but no effort for the farmer when they get you know something that's less than a you know, couple you know a couple hundred kilobytes and, and that just goes straight in and off it goes. But the data that I will collect could be you know many many gigabytes. Yeah.
2: So digesting the data down into something usable and affordable i think is is where it goes um so the next sort of thing i wanted to ask you about uh, at StevTech, tech you already have other veterans in your workforce and proudly advertise the fact on your webpage which i think is really cool um what do you say to other agribusiness owners about how veterans can fit into an agribusiness context and and where a veteran can provide value to an agribusiness who may not actually know anything about what you can bring to the table.
0: Uh, so I don't necessarily advertise as when I go and talk to them straight up, I'll bring it into conversation afterwards. But I think they see they see it in the in the in the actions of the of the business. Like what we can do is go into some fairly, um, you know, fairly austere environments, um, out of communication normally and be able to just achieve what we need to achieve and come back and turn that into something in a timely fashion that can be used. Like when you called me yesterday to talk about the podcast, I was in a in a paddock in 38 degrees and there was about 40 kilometer an hour winds, you know, filling my eyelids full of sand. <laughs> um, felt like I was back in Afghanistan a minute there, but um, it's, but that's the environment we work in. That's the environment the Australian farmer farms in, and we ha- and our equipment and our humans have to be able to deal with that. And employing veterans, I think, is just an easy fit. I know I can send them off um, into a job. <clears throat> they know the job, and then if weird things happen, like they always do, then they know how to basically adapt to it. Get get beyond just you know, yep, doing what exactly what I've told them, and actually think on their feet, figure it out um, in a, you know, sometimes uh, just environment. Other times when they're scanning orchards up near the beach, it's not quite so arduous uh, for them, but, uh, you know, when they're out near mind Warren or, you know, somewhere in the river arena and it's uh, it's 45 degrees and, <laughs> and unpleasant, you know, they have yeah. the resilience and the, they've got the mental bank account to deal with that um, and just get on with it
2: and think it's fun. To me, what I would find attractive about Working for a business like yours is—is that head out by myself, stand in the middle of the paddock, you know, possibly sneak the dog in the car, um, but still be really exercising the brain and really using that risk management and analysis for priorities and and you know still be using the best of it and still and still be
0: not stuck in an office staring at four walls all the time. Yeah, it's um, 100%. The, the, the informal tagline of the business internally, at least, is uh, choose your own adventure. Because no matter what happens, whenever we go out in the job, there's always something that turns up and arises where you've got to make decisions and get through it. And uh, yeah, so they, they <laughs> yeah, Pete and James, my main guys, they that's what they call it. They call it, oh, here we go, standard choose your own adventure. <laughs> yeah, because
2: because uh, where you are at the moment, you know, really is still, you're still Three spits of rain and your car will be bogged up to the axles if you're not careful. Kind of country, um, yeah,
0: yep.
2: And you know, still get out there and get your adventure on a little bit and and be doing yeah. something good for the sake of the community.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds yeah. like you work in some pretty diverse and intense environments, I'd say. But um, do you, this is great, Do you enjoy what you do, and why do you enjoy it? If you do.
0: Yeah, no, I do. I do enjoy it. Like one thing I was concerned about because I was in a fairly pointy end of defence um, you know, when I left it. Um, one thing I was concerned about was that I would um, be bored. Like I was like, oh, how's this, you know, there's a potential having done all the awesome stuff that I've done in my military career um, that when I get out, <clears throat> it could be boring or I could get an idle mind or whatever. But I'm happy to report that uh, since 2016, I don't know that my mind... Been idle at all. There's always something new happening. Like it's a it's a festival trying to run a drone tech business. I can tell you every five minutes there's some new bit of equipment that you're just desperate to buy, but you've got to behave yourself and not buy. And there's there's softwares you just want to you know go out and test. And you know it's a it's a debacle just keeping control of yourself. <laughs> yeah, kid in the candy store, exactly right. <clears throat> and uh, but you got to be a controlled kid in the candy store. You don't want to turn out that big fatty who's just blown his budget on five hundred different uh, drones or you know. Candies. but um that's that's the biggest challenge is actually limiting yourself not not um you know not just chasing every little flight of fancy pardon the pun um and that's one of the reasons i've i've gone you know so so deep on agriculture rather than trying to get all the, all the different industries like you know asset management solar you know Whatever, like survey all those other sort of things, we go <clears throat> hard on agriculture to just try and really focus in and get some real depth of uh, of expertise on that on that one vertical and it's uh, it's proven a pretty good strategy because i I see other other sort of in you know organizations around there that come and go that are, that are just you know a panacea, they're one one organization for every vertical and and invariably um, they don't sort of ever actually get their teeth into one. Proper. So that's what we've decided. We're gonna. We do other stuff. We do do asset inspection, and we do do survey work and whatever else. But, but our main focus, and now almost our ninety percent of our focus, is, is on agriculture.
1: Is there any plans yeah. to expand in the future to something to more areas like asset management, primarily?
0: That's one of the reasons I named the business uh, StevTech rather than you know StevTech Ag drones or StevTech Ag or something like that. Was so that. Once we'd sort of mastered this vertical and got a real depth of of, um, of sort of experience in it, then there was always the option to go into different directions. But at the moment, I'm comfortable that there's enough of a market in agriculture to, to satisfy me for, the, for you know, the foreseeable future. It's a it's a it's a fascinating, really interesting space where you can make actually a, quite a big difference. Definitely. Well, from
2: where I from where I am on the outside looking in, the lines are blurry. You know, between asset management and soil health and orchard health and orchard management, whether you call the orchard an asset or a tree, it's it's they're actually really kind of rubbery lines of division between.
0: Yes, hundred percent. What? And you find yourself, yeah, yeah, you'll find yourself one minute for a big business doing like uh, looking after maybe their vineyard health or something like that vines, and then. At the same time, they've got a big old stockpile over there that they, that, you know, they know they need to manage. Maybe it's compost or maybe it's, uh, you know, gravels or aggregates or whatever. And you know that, okay, well, actually, we'll do, you know, their orchard or their vineyard or their cotton paddock. <clears throat> and then if they want, we'll just, you know, go across and map their, that volume as well and just tell them what they've got in the stockpile right now and what they've got next week and what they've got the week after. And then they can use that for planning or, you know, talking to the EPA about what, what, what sort of, you know, bio um, stuff they've got in, in what pile and, and so, yeah, it's very, it's, this is what I mean about having discipline, it's very easy to go off in different directions, but, but, you know, it is good also to have those other pillars because when you get into droughts and various other things, you, it is nice to be able to sort of surge into different areas and do different things. So multiple skills is always, is always good. Um, but yeah, it is a slippery slope because there's so many things you can do with, with drones at the moment in particular, and just data in general, that, um, that you can find yourself, yeah, going off on that. On, on I think good, uh, uh, but you know that's
1: yeah i think that's a good pivot sounded... to the next question of um what is the most exciting thing happening in your field right now in relation to technology
0: oh well how many hours have we got <laughs> so look i i do actually think the the most interesting thing now in the last 12 months is probably the proliferation of really high-end softwares so there's a lot of like drone technology and drone uh, sensors haven't but they keep changing but changing at a fairly measurable rate but the proliferation of the software that interprets all that data at the moment is really really going quickly like we <clears throat> like i can give you examples of like some of the just the the artificial intelligence image recognition softwares that we use sort of day to day like that that was a pipe dream in 2016, 2017. Absolute pipe dream for a sort of um, organization that's at the farmer kind of level to be able to harness that like so easily. Right now, <clears throat> we'll go out, farmer wants to know how many, what, let's say how many holes are in his crop for, because of salt salinity or something like that. <clears throat> we can teach a, teach one of our softwares to recognize that in, you know, in a couple of hours, scan the field, give them an exact hectare reading and exact shape file for where exactly those those salt salinity patches are or, or whatever, it doesn't matter. As long as it's recognisable, it could be a weed. We, some, we, we identified all the ryegrass in a wheat crop earlier this year for for uh, down in down near Tamora there and, uh, and in a few other places. Uh, and that was based on image recognition. So we just trained up a AI model and then flew the whole, I think it was about 500 hectares or whatever we did for one of these jobs. And then it found all the ryegrass rye in a wheat crop. That, that was stuff of science fiction even three or four years ago.
2: So, how can can you like you 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 put together your drone swarm, and you can say you can. So is it possible? Because I don't know. You underswing your weed killer under the drone swarm. Can you send that drone swarm over the paddock and say find all the ryegrass and spray all the ryegrass? Is it uh, are we at that point yet, or are we halfway there?
0: Oh, so so technically we we are at that point. Like legislatively and and rules based reasons, we're not so. We don't use drone swarms, we use like individual sort of high capacity drones that can get over and image things. We also don't at this stage use um, payload delivery drones like spray drones simply because of the size of the paddocks that, that I deal with um, are, are vast and it's easier for me to integrate that into a spray rig that has either individual nozzle control or, or section control. Um, however, I am sort of part, I've got a guy that uh, I'm working who is bringing spray drones in and the reason I'm doing it I suppose because those little trials I did with the grass and other little things that just were a real issue in the paddocks, often they're only one or two percent of a paddock so if you've got like a you know, 100 hectare paddock you might only have like one or two hectares of the actual trouble and so that actually makes it really relevant for in my context for the use of, of you know, payload delivery drones but he's an expert in that area so I'm going to harness his skills to do that. We're an expert in in data analysis and data collection and we're gonna do that side of it, so yeah.
2: So Tristan, I'm just fascinated by all this stuff. We've been talking about crop yield prediction, which I think is just a game changer in terms of crop insurance and weather damage insurance and all that sort of stuff, which uh, to me is just amazing stuff. Um, Have you had a look at any of the use of drones Pardon me. In livestock management, is that is that part of your picture, or are you?
0: Not really. Uh, so I know that they um, that drones are quite useful um, in that environment. And in fact, my brother uses uh, uses drones for that purpose with his stock. He um he is quite adept at rounding up sheep <laughs> with him, but he also checks all his stuff that he needs to check. He's got a sort of temporary feed a like drought feed lot, and whatnot. He gets it gets across with it. <clears throat> I mean, he uses that thing every day, so it would save him. We save him a lot of time, I think, in his day, because he's got—he probably works 27 hours out of the 24. Um, so he's a typical farmer, but he—I think that drone, like cops, are absolutely hiding. Um, and and he would he would find absolute use in that in terms of certainly in terms of stock. Like as a good example, he couldn't get onto an 800 hectare paddock, that he 800 acre sorry paddock that he had where all his um all his sheep are uh, lambing on uh, during winter or just at the start of spring, I should say, because was so wet and um, yeah he basically used the drone to go and check on make sure that you know lambing was going okay there wasn't any issues and whatever and you know that would have saved him quite a few sheep that were having problems and whatnot he just couldn't physically get across the paddock without completely destroy, destroying it so he would just find where the issue was with the drone and then go out and you know, rectify it and, and then come back. Um, so he's in get Bob to the
2: axles country as well Yes. Um, Well, we've really only actually got one more question for you, Tristan, and it's a question that we ask all of our guests on the Tech Veteran Podcast. So if you could say anything to a veteran right now living anywhere, what advice would you give them if they're transitioning or if they're already transitioned and stuck in a dead-end job?
0: Uh, I would say plan your way out of it. Like in the military, you learn to plan, um, and I think – was it Eisenhower that said uh, the plan is nothing planning is everything and that that rings true for me too because I did a lot of planning before I got out and when when my ideas hit the market um you know they had to change they changed a little bit not dramatically but they did change significantly I suppose uh from but the beauty of it was that because I'd done all the planning like I could pivot quickly um and it's the same as what we say in the army no plan survives contact with the enemy well no business plan survives contact with the market so plan plan your hard away, make sure you use all those skills that you've been given in terms of planning and then once you hit the market, then use that knowledge you've developed in planning to then just, you know, find the groove of the business and, and get into it. Um, and likewise, if you're in a, in a, in a dead-end job and, you, and you're wondering how on earth to get out of it, I think that's, that's to me, <clears throat> the great skill that we have is, uh, you know, from the, one of the great skills we have from being in the military is, you know, thinking through things logically and, and in a you know, learning how to think, not just what to think, how to think and how to structure thought, how to structure a plan, you know, how to how to look at a, an issue from all different angles and then come up with a solution and navigate your way out of whatever issue you, you've, you've found yourself in.
2: I think that's excellent advice. Thanks very much. Tristan Stevenson from StevTech. Thank you very much for your time today on the Tech Veteran. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. Pleasure,
1: Mel. Thanks, Mel. Thanks, Ali. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. This episode was really great to film. Thanks again, Tristan, for being on the show. If you have any friends or know of anyone who has a great story like this and would be able to get on and tell it, please contact either Mel or myself. I'll have the links below in the bio so that we can reach out and get them on the podcast. Thanks.